and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 287 and my conversation with longtime Austin P. State University in Tennessee percussion professor David Steinquest. Well, it's finally here. Mizzou's spring break. I'm thrilled to have finally gotten some rest and relaxation in while also catching up on work and practicing and those things. But very excited to be on break right now. But I'm also thrilled because we wrapped up just before break a faculty search for our school of music that I was on while also helping to put together our leadership team for Marching Mizzou for the upcoming year. So lots going on. But enough of that. Let's get right to today's guest, David Steinquest. I had known the name David Steinquest for a long time. When I first started teaching college after my doctorate at Concord University in West Virginia, I had David Steinquest's arrangements of Chick Corea children's songs in my collection there. We played some of them, partially because they were honestly some of the few pieces at the time that were for small ensemble and worked for programs like I was at at that time that had very few resources and instruments to do much of anything literature-wise. So that's the first place I knew David Steinquist. I was also interested in having him on because he got a hearty endorsement from friend of the show and fan and former student of David Steinquist, Overton Alford. Overton told me at this year's PASIC that I needed to have him on. And Overton helped motivate me to get in touch with David. So thanks, Overton. David Steinquist has been teaching at Austin P. State University in Clarksville, Tennessee, for many years now. He was their first full-time professor in percussion as a hire there, and he has built a solid program over his many years. He's been involved in performing throughout Tennessee and in the Nashville area as well, and took part in the academic world partially as it was the family business. His father was a longtime flute and theory professor for many years. We get to that and a whole lot more in this wonderful interview, so let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on March 21st, 2022, and it begins right now. So David, uh, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities as they are right now. I teach at Austin Peay State University in Clarksville, Tennessee, and I am the only percussion teacher here. So uh, I teach all of the uh, private lessons uh, and percussion ensemble. I have a class that comes up kind of once a year where I'm teaching the music ed students uh, basically how to teach percussion when they go out to be a band director or whatever they end up doing. Um, and then also occasionally, uh, because we do have a, a performance degree, most of our students are music ed Ed majors, but we do have a performance degree, and those people have to take a pedagogy class. So that comes comes around every so often. What's the? I'm curious. What's the name of your version of that? Like, because percussion techniques, percussion. Yeah. Techniques, what's the? It's it's called percussion group instruction. Oh, okay. So, very cool. Well, I you know to kind of back up a little bit, tell me about getting the position there. And where you were before and the process, you know, I know that okay. was a few years ago. Uh, only. Um, 
Well, I was at uh, West Point. I was in the West Point band okay. for for one hitch, three years. Although there were really, really wonderful things about that job. Uh, really great players. Uh, 45 minutes from New York. So I was going into the city all the time to catch everything you can imagine. You know, everything that New York has to offer. But when you're in the service, sometimes the person who is uh, your, we'll call them supervisor, um, may not be the person that you really, really want to work for. And at that point in time, the lieutenant colonel was not somebody that I want, wanted to continue to have a relationship with. Uh, when you're in the service, uh, you can only get out at every, uh, the end of your um, whatever your, your time that you have signed up for. Then you re-up, you know. So that's your one moment to escape. And I was ready to, I was ready to go away. Uh, it just turned out that uh, Austin P was going to hire their first full-time percussion instructor. It had always been an adjunct person before that. So I uh, did the sort of initial sending in paperwork to get it started. Um, they decided that they were interested enough to, to have me come in and do a live audition. And um, so I ended up being the one that they offered the job to, which was, it was very comforting because it happened uh, I got out of the service in September. This is actually really fortunate. They were still on quarters at that time. So they started later than people who run semesters. Yeah. Um, I literally like packed up a truck and drove straight to Clarksville from, from New York. And almost literally the next day I was teaching classes. The other thing that was really weird, my dad taught at Tennessee Tech okay. uh, back in the late 50s through some of the 60s. And um, so, of course, all the universities would do things where they kind of ran into each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in 85, uh, he was a, a flute player. Okay. Uh, he taught uh, at Tennessee Tech at that time. He was teaching a little bit of everything. Uh, marching band and the big band and, you know, kind of uh, anything that they needed to do. Um, so a number of the people that were on faculty at Austin P. Um, were there when my dad was teaching. Mm. And so some of them sort of remembered me, but as a little rug rat running around, you know. Um, so that was, that was a, it, it felt kind of cool to, in a way, sort of come back home because uh, we had moved away. We had moved to Louisiana. My dad taught at uh, Northeast Louisiana University mm. uh, after tech. Maybe another kind of a funny story in trying to get a job. I decided that, I was going to just be really honest when I, when I took the, when I had the interview, you know, when you come in, you don't know who the, who the power individuals are in the, on the, on the faculty. And so this one, one person, uh, when, when we're having the, just sort of the talking, the interview part of it, uh, he said, you know, um, I was wondering, would you be interested in starting up a, a steel band at, at Austin P because I love that stuff. It's, I think it would just be really cool. Well, we had already done the master class where I was working with some of the students and I felt like 
and and a part of this is no fault of who you know the people who had been teaching before when you're an adjunct and you're not around all the time it's really hard to get people to practice and get you know really make it happen and these people seem like they super needed to learn how to play the snare drum and learn how to play mallet instruments so i was like no i don't think i would start one i think they need the meat and potatoes and and we really need to just be you know firmly rooted in in the basics of what's going on and as i'm saying all that i'm thinking you know i could have just lost this job because if that's like the most important person in the room um and i've maybe offended him uh i guess i'll just go back to new york you know yeah yeah before you got there you said they were there was adjuncts who were who were teaching those positions was this from Memphis, but like where were mostly coming from to, to teach? Yeah. Nashville is, is just like, uh, 45 minutes down the road. Okay. So, uh, and, and still uh, when we have adjuncts, most of them come from the Nashville area. Um, Harvey Warner was the guy that taught before me. Uh, he played in the Nashville symphony. And again, I think, you know, he, especially kind of looking back, he did, he did a really good job with the constraints that that he would would be under um and then i mean kind of funny enough um i went down and heard a symphony concert uh, just not very long after i got to austin p and the guy that was playing principal trumpet was on the faculty at tennessee tech with my dad so i thought well i need to just you know say hi and that i'm i'm sort of back in the area and so as I was talking to him, he was like, well, let me introduce you to Harvey. He's the principal here. And so Harvey and I got to talking and, um, you know, he wanted to know where I went to school and stuff. I did my master's at Michigan at the time that uh, Charlie Owen was was still teaching. So there was that, you know, kind of serious Philadelphia Orchestra connection. Harvey actually, uh, he was really interested in me coming down and to do some playing with the orchestra. But again, I think it was really because of the Philly thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, not really, not really meaning to try to make that happen. Uh, that was what kind of got me started playing with the, with the Nashville symphony. So you never know, you never know how the, how things are going to go. Yeah. Well, you know, when you get there, what are the things, obviously this is, you said this is the first time they had a full-time person for percussion. Yeah. What kinds of things did you see, okay, over the next five years, here's what I want to try to accomplish, and here's what I'm going to need to start to build something sustaining? You know, a lot of times you you can get a little infusion of money. Uh, I was able to buy a, a few instruments. They really needed a, a better set of timpani. Uh, the the marimbas we're still using the marimbas that were here when i came mm-hmm. but we were able to to buy a couple of instruments a little more extended range mm-hmm. um some things that that weren't 40 or 50 years old and tired from being in the practice room for that much time yeah um trying to you know there wasn't much of a library of music and i mean i brought mine but yeah. you know trying to to get the the university to have uh, sort of a, a catalog of of ensemble and solo literature and stuff. I mean, again, I just I wanted to try to um, 
start to, to develop an environment where people like seriously really practiced, knew how to practice um, to, to start doing things. And I, I'll tell you the thing that was a little, a little weird was um, it, it took a little while and my, my numbers dipped before they turned around and, and went back the other way because there were, you know, there were a few students who kind of liked not seeing their teacher every day and not being, hey, man, you know, why are you drinking a Coke instead of, uh, you know, you should probably go back to the practice room. Right. Um, so I was a little worried about that. You know, it's like, this doesn't look good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not building it. Seems like I'm, I'm tearing this thing down. Yeah. But <clears throat> maybe that's kind of normal that it, it just takes a little bit to turn turn something around yeah well you need to get your students in which takes yeah if right you, yeah if that's you have true. the time to, to to make that happen yeah you know although uh, you still learn man let me tell you this one mm-hmm. um the he was a well he was probably might have been a junior but possibly a senior um and i felt like i felt like they so desperately needed me to to help them and like these older guys in a hurry because I wasn't going to have them for very long. Yeah. And so we're, we're having a lesson. And, um, so I'm, I'm talking to him and he, he stops me and he says, you know, you, you don't ever say anything nice in our lessons. All you do is talk about the stuff that's, that's wrong. Cause I've, I was feeling like, I talk about it being like it's a sucking chest wound that I'm dealing with. You know, it's not, it's not cosmetic surgery. I'm doing like field hospital work here. And, um, but I, you know, I'm trying to listen to him and he says, and you know, like I come in and I'm going to play what I've been, been working on. And you stop me almost before I get started and start talking about the stuff that's not right. And, uh, I, I mean, I tried to just like really listen to it. And it's like, you know what? I think he's right. Um, I, I need to maybe rethink how I'm doing this just a little bit, you know? And so I really did change, um, you know, even if somebody's struggling through what they're trying to play for me, yep. I generally let them make that presentation the very best they can, mm-hmm. you know, and then start. And then start to deal with it. And sort of the joke, which now the students know because somehow it got out. um, I had sort of talked about that if I couldn't find anything good to say about what somebody just did, then I would just say, man, I love your shirt. That's a great shirt, you know. Uh, And then I would start talking about whatever needed to, to be fixed. Um, Usually you can find something to be positive about, but anyway, so then what got to be kind of funny is if I complimented somebody on their, what they were wearing, they're like, their eyes get big, like, Oh God, what did I do wrong? Because that means, that means there wasn't anything good to talk about. Um, So I don't know. It's, you can learn a lot from your students if you keep your ears open. Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> you, 
I mean, then it could just be a joke after it was like, hey, nice shirt. And then like, and right. then actually you might say something and be like, and you're, you know, your formality, yeah. you know, your, yeah. your rotations in your hands is really nice, actually. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's a, it's a standing joke. now. <laughs> those are good. Those are good. Good to have those. As you, you've, the, you've been at the school, as long as you have, what was, what's it been like to, um, and you could kind of take this as like a beginning and where you are now, but like, what's it been like to at first be the new, the new, the new one. And then now being the institutional knowledge, as I like to refer to those. I'm the old guy. That's or, or that too. Sure. What's it been like to be kind of be like in now you, who you are in this position now? It's weird. Um, I mean, because, you know, I've I've seen a lot of my colleagues retire and particularly there were some uh, a number of people that had taught for a long time when I got here. So there was a lot of of retirements uh, as I've gone along. Uh, I think I'm one of uh, the three. We have around 20, I guess, faculty members. Uh, I'm one of the three who have been here the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my, my attire has changed. Uh, <clears throat> one thing, cause I wasn't, I wasn't very much older than some of the students sure. that I was working with. So I was wearing a tie every day, you know, it, there needed to be that separation somehow. It's like, no, I'm not a student. I'm your teacher, yeah. you know? Um, so it was nice when I got to the age that I was old enough, I didn't have to wear a tie anymore. I mean, like in, yeah. in meetings, would, would it, would, would you all as a faculty just talk about something and, and you'd be the one who chime in with like, well, we tried that in 1998 actually. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, honestly, now I try to just be really quiet in meetings because mostly if I say something, it's because I've had it up to here <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, sort of explode or something. And, and I, I do get tickled sometimes talking to the, the really newer ones uh, and through the, especially through this whole COVID thing, because there are people that we don't really know each other, right. you know? So I was talking to, we have this new music therapy teacher and I was saying, you know, um, I hope you don't think that I'm really the person in the meetings generally, you know, it's like, um, uh, I think I'm I think I'm a different person. I think I'm a nicer person. And she's just laughing at me because uh, she helps. We I, I help out with the marching band and she's sort of done some of that. So she's seen me in in uh, other than a faculty meeting environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it is it is weird. Uh, I've always felt like I could say whatever it was I wanted to in faculty meetings from the get go, whether I agreed or disagreed with stuff. I think I was just probably terribly naive or something, but um, sometimes I'd get a little worried for them or just feel bad when younger faculty, you can just tell they're afraid to say something because they don't want to rock the boat and they're trying to get tenure. And so they don't, you know, that whole thing. Um, I mean, again, that kind of junk, I just didn't really think about Um, our department chair at a point kind of came to me and said, David, uh, you should you should be going up for that promotion or whatever, right? Or hey, you didn't you didn't do that last year, and you could have done that. And it's like, well, I just didn't. I was busy. I didn't really think about it. Right. 
I mean, it's a lot of paperwork. Like it's just, it's busy work and yeah. Yeah. Sure. I no. I, I, well, I don't, what you're saying though, it's, it's, it's true. You know, once you're tenured, you don't have to go up any further. Right. You know, you, you can stay where you're at and no, it's generally fine. Yeah. And I mean, uh, one great thing about Austin P, uh, because I'm a, I'm really a studio teacher. The master's degree is considered uh, the terminal degree. I mean, you can have a doctorate, certainly, but uh, I'm a full professor. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that Austin P acknowledges uh, experience in, in your field yeah. and not just something that you've got on a piece of paper. You know, I also joke about that. I would not be able to get my job right now if I applied for it. You know, I don't have a doctorate. Uh, I'd probably get thrown out in the, you know, in the first wave of paper. Um, so I feel very fortunate that I'm still working. <laughs> uh, I'm with you. Will you tell me a little bit more about the the school and kind of the location? Because you said you're near Nashville. I mean, but there's also there's a lot of places that are near Nashville. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, and like, cause it, I know that it's a, is it, it's a state university, but on a smaller end. Yes. So what, tell me a little bit more about just the school environment. We are, um, Northwest up interstate 24. Mm-hmm. So we're, uh, right on the, uh, Kentucky border, Clarksville and Fort Campbell is a really large army base. Uh, there's really, you don't really know where Clarksville ends and Fort Campbell begins. As a result, we end up having uh, a fair population of Fort Campbell, uh, both soldiers and family spouses um, coming to school here. So in in that population, there can be a pretty fair turnover uh, because those people are always being uh, moved to a to a new location. So that's a that's a little bit different than maybe some some areas. It also affects the public schools because uh, kids are there for three years and then they're gone. So uh, like those high school band directors are maybe they've been working with this kid and then for their senior year, they've moved to, you know, California or something. Um, We. We are small. We're, we usually sit around, it's around 10,000 mm-hmm. um, uh, as opposed to uh, Middle Tennessee mm-hmm. State University, which is, I don't know, probably 24,000 or something, you know, like definitely a bigger school. I think each of us are in a way uh, somewhat regional. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my students come from this sort of general uh, northern part of middle Tennessee, southern part of, of Kentucky. Um, you know, I think MTSU does the same sort of thing. Uh, a lot of it gets pulled from around the Murfreesboro area. But the the other thing, and I like that we have some differences, um, some, for some kids, the smaller environment is exactly what they need. Um, I mean, you know, again, I'm the only percussion teacher here so 
this, the student has me all the time for everything. So there's no, you know, jumping around from, from one thing to another. Now, the other thing is, is they have to put up with me. Um, and my, uh, strengths and my weaknesses, mm-hmm. you know, at MTSU, they can study with someone who is, uh, really specifically a drum set player or very specifically a mallet person or, a, you know, however that goes. Um, but at this smaller school, the students can be more involved in more things and right off the bat. So they get, uh, as much experience as they want to to try to take advantage of. Sometimes you go to a bigger school and you have to sort of wait in line for your turn to uh, be able to be in some of those groups and things. Um, the it's it's maybe a little more family like because it's not as big, you know. Um, so you don't get lost in those in those numbers. Uh, you can be a bigger fish in a smaller pond instead of being the little the little guy amongst many. I really like it. Yeah. Uh, I seem to have really really good kids um, who who may not have had a lot of percussion education just because of whatever. Um, Overton Offord would be an example of that. Uh, he came from this little school. Uh, in Adams, Tennessee. Um, and although, like, he comes from a very musical family, uh, he is innately musical. Yeah. But he just didn't have learning, uh, percussion learning opportunities. And so he was really that sort of diamond in the rough kind of person that wouldn't have gotten a scholarship to a bigger school, most probably. But comes to Austin P. And hopefully I, you know, knock off all the dirt and the dust and everything. And then everybody figures out, oh, my gosh, this guy's really, really good. And I like doing that. I mean, sometimes I think the, you know, the people, uh, my son went to uh, Indiana for his master's, you know. So he's studying with ridiculous people. And all of those people that are going to Indiana are monsters, you know. It's like, I'm not saying that. Kevin Bobo is not teaching them something. Oh, sure. I'm just saying uh, in some ways, it's much easier to teach those students because they're so driven and they already have such a background. You know, um, I like, I like helping the people that really, really need that help, but really want it to. It's a different kind of challenge yeah. than the other. And it's, I feel like some of it is more of the you're giving them the kind of an awakening a little bit. There's yes. Discovery is yes. Part in that time frame. Yeah. And the other thing that's funny about that, it, it not that it always does this, but it seems like I'm, I don't I don't know what, you know, different schools have have different kind of setups mm-hmm. uh, at the in the first semester of the sophomore year. We have a just it's a scale barrier exams not honestly it shouldn't be that big a deal with some people it is but uh that moves them to what we call a junior level where they're having you know like for me they're having to demonstrate two mallets and four mallets and timpani and usually multiple percussion or if they're really interested in snare drum it can you know some of those things can kind of move around but it's like a like a tiny recital 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is so amazing how they maybe don't, it's like they're not getting it. They're not getting it, you know, they mm-hmm. go back to the practice room. Yeah. And then they do this event and they, they like have this 180 turn. Yeah. And then, and, and those last two years, it's just this uh, like rocket growth. You know, and it's always really fun. And some people, it happens quicker than that. I've got a freshman right now who's just knocking it out of the park, you know. Um, but it's when when they do that, it's really fun to see it happen. That that light bulb goes on and, and they really start doing it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's it's great. It's a great moment. You know, be, because you've been there uh, as long as you've had, I'm, I am curious about, whether there have been times that you've decided you wanted, did you like apply for other jobs? Had you been, what, how, how have you, because that's obviously a thing, particularly when you go up for tenure and, and levels is that there's an expectation that other people want you, you know, like yeah. that kind of stuff. So like right. over the years, were there other opportunities that you thought about or, or went out for, if you're willing to say what they <laughs> talk yeah. about? Yeah. I really, I've liked it here from the get-go. I like living in not a humongous place. Uh, I did, I lived in Clarksville for a long time. I actually now live in Springfield, which is uh, a little smaller than Clarksville. Um, So I kind of, you know, commute in. The other thing that I've always felt is I would have left if Nashville was not right here and if I didn't have the opportunities that Nashville has afforded me. Mm. Um, I feel like, you know, there are some big schools that are kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And I know those people have the ability to go and do things, but I really would rather be here and be close to Nashville than be, you know, at some other place. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I also am, it, I am, a, I don't know if I'm different than other people in that I, I think that I'm really, really good. And I also think that I'm really not good all at the same time. It's that weird um, combination of complete self-confidence and none at all. Yeah. Uh, and that where, could just be, that could be one 15 minute span of a lesson you're giving where that, that emotion happens. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the funny story there. Uh, Don Sinta was the saxophone teacher mm-hmm. at Michigan. Uh, I got to, I really got to know him because I, uh, well, first I was on staff. I worked on stage group, but I taught it at uh, the national music camp at Interlochen mm-hmm. for a few years. And, um, it was it was mostly the um, Michigan Allstate part of it, and Don Center was in charge of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also did a, a camp with him over in the uh, coal coal mining area, West Virginia, and um, so uh, we really got to spend some kind of quality time together. Uh, he came and uh, did a, we used to have a thing called wind and percussion at Austin Pete, where we had guest artists in all the different uh, instruments come in 
And so he was here as, as one of those. And, um, well, and also let me back up and say, when Charlie Owen retired, I considered uh, uh, throwing my hat in the ring for the University of Michigan job. And so I talked to Cinta about it at that time. And this was not, this was not very long after I had graduated. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty heartless. He was like, David, you don't need to apply for this. We're looking for a real person. Uh, you know, like we, we, need a, we need a big name. Yeah. So I was crushed, but it was the truth. Um, so anyway, then, you know, Cinta comes down here. And um, so we're out eating dinner, whatever. And he's like, David, you got to get out of here. You got to go and get a big job. You need, cause you need to be in a good, you know, you need to, it's like, but I like it. I like it here. (laughs) And I feel like I'm, I'm really doing a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, I don't think I want to go. Yeah. Um, So maybe that, maybe that answers that question sort of. No, it does. Well, and it's fascinating because what's funny about the, that, the first part with the Michigan job is that you, it's like a timing was not working in your favor at that. Right. And you would right. probably admit now you'd be like, they, they were looking for someone else. Right. Well, and that man, that stuff is so hard. Yeah. Um, when, when I graduated, um, I, you know, immediately I'm looking for a college job. Right. And, um, so there was a there was a school in Texas, good you know, pretty big school, uh, and I ended up being one of the two people. It got down to the two people they were considering for the job, and so I went in and interviewed, and especially the guy that was kind of carrying me around, he was just like, "Man, we really want you. This is this you would be so great," and they give the job to the other guy, and I'm like, "What happened?" And this, this person who had, you know, had sort of been talking to me in that way. It's like, well, we really liked you, but he just, he had more experience than, than you do. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't have done any more than, I mean, uh, you know, I, I taught at Interlochen. I was teaching at Albion college while I was doing my master's, uh, I played in, you know, in the symphony when I was in Louisiana and I played in, in pickup Ann Arbor and Flint and everything that, I, you know, it's like, I've done everything I can do. You know, it's like, well, you're just not old enough, yeah. and, but it's, the, but it's the truth. Yes. And I didn't know it then, you know, there's so many things about a job that having a little experience is, it is a good thing. It's just so hard to try to get that experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're like, so I'm penalized because I'm five years younger. Like, right. And and what probably is the case is that five years later, if you go out for a job and you get that, you probably, you might've beat someone else out who gets the same, then they're hearing like, well, you don't have enough experience. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so, you never know just where, like what's going to be the thing that's going to, yeah. that, that turns some people that's like, yes, for some people and no. And yeah. No well, and I, you know, I'll tell you the thing that ended up happening. Um, University of Arkansas had, mm-hmm. uh, had the job open and what was 
what was happening there, their chairman had retired. Mm-hmm. And the the person who was director of bands really sort of wanted that job. And I don't, I don't know if you know Chow Ragsdale. He's I great. do. I've had, I had him oh, man. I've known Chow for a long time. Great. I, I, I love him, man. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the greatest. Yes. And, and this will explain that. Uh-huh. He uh, has always loved being involved with bands. So, so what happened was the director of bands moved up as interim chair. Chow moved up and became director of bands. And I slipped in to, to be the per- percussion teacher. And, I could not have asked for someone to be more supportive, but also hands off at the same time. It was, it was ridiculous how great that was. Um, and, and I would have stayed, I would probably be talking to you from the university of Arkansas right now, except that that person was not chosen as the chair. So everything dropped back down and I was out on the street, which is how I ended up, at West Point, honestly, you know, I, what I could get was a one-year job. Mm-hmm. What I, what I couldn't get was that, that big tenure track thing, or at least in that situation, you know? Right. And so you just have to, you have to try to do the best you can and climb your way up that ladder, you know? Yeah. What, what is so fascinating about that position, I think is that that was one of at least two times, I think that Chow got, did like, did that, and then came yeah. back. Yeah. For various, I don't know all the reasons, but for like something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy I get to see him at a PASIC, everyone. I saw him last, this is last November. Yeah. It's always really good to see him say hi and sort of catch up. Yeah. No, he's, he's great. And his kids are great, too. Yeah. You know, um, I can't remember now his name, but, oh, Aaron, who's at uh, South Dakota State. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's also doing great things. Yeah, he was not doing great things when I was there because he was he was like in his crib or whatever. Oh, they sure, were, they, yeah, yeah. They were tiny. So, <laughs> yeah, Chow keeps me up to date. You yeah, know, as, as to what's going on. All right, well, let's back up, David. Where did you grow up? Uh, well, I did my my first uh, first part of life in Cookville. Because my dad was teaching oh, at Tennessee good. Tech, so about I don't know the first eleven years or so. Then, um, because he was having to do kind of everything, uh, he had this opportunity to go to Northeast Louisiana University. Um, he he was still kind of maintaining because he's always been a theory teacher, mm-hmm. um, but uh, teaching flute. And they had a woodwind, a very active faculty woodwind quintet. And that was honestly, I think, the big draw for him was to be able to have that performance outlet. So we moved to Monroe, and uh, I went to high school. And actually, I went to Northeast Louisiana University um, Mm. for my undergrad. Uh, My teacher's name was Stanley Fink, uh, but F-I-N-C-K. Oddly enough, he had gone to North Texas uh, doing some graduate work with Ron Fink, not with a C. (laughs) Um, but, uh, he was a, he was a super teacher and was the reason that I stayed there. Um, cause, uh, I just, I felt like I couldn't find anybody better than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was, he was terribly mean and, and left at the end of my sophomore year. Um, so I tried to, uh, decide if I was going to transfer somewhere else. And I, I 
checked out a few different schools, uh, ended up deciding to just stay there and then go somewhere else for, for grad school. Uh, Alan Watera is the person that, that came in. He ended oh, up yeah. going to uh, Radford University. Radford, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the thing there, my, my learning, really great learning experience was that no one, no one was going to replace Mr. Fink in my mind. So when, when Mr. Volterra came in, he could, there wasn't any way that he was going to be the, the right thing. Right. And so I was really a jerk. <laughs> uh, I would just, uh, he might give me assignments. I'd work on whatever I wanted to. I mean, I'd come in with stuff, but I just was doing the, just doing what I wanted to do. I made two B's in undergrad school. One was in a, was in a math class that I actually didn't even have to take, but I took it because I didn't want to take baby math. And the other one was in, in my first semester with Mr. Wolterra in percussion. Uh, and, and the B was actually a gift. I should have made a lot worse, but he understood that it would destroy me to get a B in percussion. I apologize to him every time because I usually would see him at PASIC too, you know. Yeah. It's like, man, I am so sorry that I acted like the way that I did. And he did such great things for me. Um, I had written meditation and dance. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he said, David, this is a really good piece of music. You need, to, you need to get it published. And I'm like, nobody wants this. I wrote this. Nobody wants this stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, we're going to, you, you, first of all, of course, this is pre-finale. Right. You make a really great manuscript copy. Really make a clean copy of it. Yeah. We're going to record it. And we're going to send it to Joel Leach at Studio Four. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, whatever. And so we do it. And I mean, almost immediately, I get a letter back from Joel Leach saying, I love this piece. I want to publish it, you know. So I probably would not have any published music if if Alvatera had not started me doing that. Yeah. The other thing is um, this is this is uh, a, a odd side story. I grew up one street over from uh, Lon Wilson, and if you're not from Nashville, you may not know who that person is. Mm-hmm. But um, Eddie Bears. Do you know that name? I don't know either name. It's okay. It's Nashville's a little insulated from other things. Eddie Bears, for just almost forever, was the most recorded drum set player in Nashville. Hmm. Um, there were quite a few years uh, where Lon was the most recorded drum set player in Nashville. Um, anyway, we grew up one street apart from each other. And played in bands together from, you know, as soon as we had the ability to do that. Well, he had a drum set, so he was the drum set player in the band. I mean, I had a marimba, you know, I mean, it's just so stupid. Um, But uh, so I never really played drum set. And because I got better at playing mallets and snare drum and all this, I really did not want to play drum set because I didn't do it very well. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Alwaltera says, David, you're going to play drum set in the jazz band because he also did the jazz band at Northeast. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. He's like, you're going to play in the jazz band. So he makes me. Uh, I'm playing the Buddy Rich 
arrangement of love for sale, mm. which I mean, it's not like it has a lot, but there's some Buddy Rich ish fills and things, mm. and then a an eight bar solo or so. Yeah, and a few, a so, few notes I mean, here and there. I was. I had yeah yeah. I mean, I had the general understanding of you know how to play time and and how to play kicks and stuff, but I convinced myself I cannot play a solo. So we rehearsed the tune, and when we when we got to that point, I would just stop. Mm-hmm. And he'd look at me. He's like, "What are you doing?" It's like, "I don't play. I don't know how to play solo." And he finally got so mad. He said, "If he said just play time. If you can't play a solo, just play time." So we would get to that spot, and I would just go dang, 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 and and stare at him, saying, "I hate you. I hate you. I hate you." And <laughs> then. It hit me, we're going to have a, a concert and I'm going to have to do this in front of people. So, and it, I mean, I look back on it and I'm amazed at how stupid I was. Uh, but what the, in my mind, what I thought was, okay, I play all kinds of multiple percussion pieces. And this is kind of like multiple percussion. So that's what I'm going to think it is. And I'm going to listen to Buddy Rich mm-hmm. and I'm going to learn a multiple percussion solo. So I practiced as closely as I could all the Buddy Rich licks of his solo. So, you know, a week or so ahead of the concert, uh, I thought, okay, I think it's time to try this out. So we get there and everybody's expecting clang, dang, 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 you know, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know just all the and and everybody's like freaking out like who's playing drum set you know um but that was the get me over the hump that i can play the drum set and i have had so many opportunities of things that i've done pit work uh playing with a country band i mean just all kinds of stuff that I, again, I guess I never would have done if, if Mr. Laterra had not, you know, said, you're going to do this. So I'm really great. I'm really grateful to him for all that. No, that that's wonderful. You just needed to be unlocked. That's all. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. All right. So your father is, is a musician and a a college music professor. What, when does the percussion part, start for you (laughs) well the story is that almost as soon as i could talk and knew what i was saying that i was going to play football and drums at alabama that was that was what it was and like my parents were like don't you want to play a real instrument like you want to play violin or trumpet Mm. or something it's like no i want to play the drums Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad brought a, a surplus ROTC uh, drum from, I still have it. I turned it into a lion's roar, nice. but, uh, but I just you know, like march around in the front yard with this little drum, you know, um, I, I started playing piano when I was five. They tricked me into doing that. And then I had to do it whether I wanted to or not, which I appreciate my parents for cracking that whip. They started me, uh, his name was uh, Chet Hedgecoth uh, in Cookville, who gave me my first uh, snare drum lessons out of the uh, Edward Strait, Strait system of drumming. I, uh, I, I still have it. It's, it's this little 
uh, orange sort of, uh, it's definitely not an eight and a half by 11. It's, it's just this little, yeah. little book. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when we moved to Louisiana, because I was uh, like kind of 10 or 11 then, um, there was a student there, actually the son of the uh, department chair, uh, uh, Thad Mullins, who continued to give me some snare drum lessons. Because that was really, I mean, again, I mean, you're talking about the 60s. Uh, it was a, sort of a completely different percussive time right. at that point, you know. Um, but then uh, Stanley Fink ended up coming to be the teacher. And so I, about when I was a freshman in high school is when I seriously like started, you know, trying to become a percussionist. Um, maybe the, the, the sort of funny thing there, you know, I had never taken lessons. So he was going to start me just like he starts all of his students. Um, so it was the Goldenberg playing the silly little two or three or four line etude things. Yep. Well, I'd been playing piano for 10 years. So I'm playing, you know, I've played maybe not all of them, but most of the Bach inventions and, and Mozart sonatas, Beethoven, you know, I'm playing all kinds of stuff. Uh, and he's giving me these little, which I didn't even practice, you know, I'm just going to a lesson. Um, he, he played Furioso and Vols, Earl Hatch on a, on a recital. And I came to my lesson and I'm like, I want to play that song. It's a great tune. And he looks at me, you know, kind of like, what, you know, well, wait a minute. You've only had like four lessons or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, please, please give me this. Because I think this is, at that point, you know, it's like, this is the greatest piece of music I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah. So he gives it to me and I come back next week, memorized, just doing it, you know. Um, and I think that was a wake up call for him, you know, that, uh, okay. Hey, this guy can can do stuff. I should have paid attention. And so we, I, you know, he helped me. I think the thing he taught me was to just uh, really search for new music. And again, this is different. You know, this is before YouTube. So uh, you had to like listen to records or uh, go to concerts or whatever to try to find the new music that you want to do. You know, scour um just listings and and try to read descriptions of things maybe this is good you know i i stole stuff from uh flute literature and guitar literature just uh, just anything i could find you know um but he was he really instilled that in me i think you know i appreciate that too aside from doing all the music stuff were you involved in anything else i knew you said something about playing uh football at alabama but um, <laughs> I but never were got you involved very, in anything, any other activities that weren't just on the music side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, we called it junior high, not middle school. But sure, yeah. um, but I played football mm-hmm. in uh, seventh grade. I played offense and defense. Uh, eighth grade. They had now have had me only playing like defensive safety. Um the problem was uh, I was literally, I was like 88 pounds 
And most of the people at that point playing on the team, like they're at least a 140, 150, 160, yeah. you know. Uh, so it was kind of a rude awakening that David, you're probably not going to be able to keep doing this. Uh, but it's always, uh, I've always been very sports kind of interested. Some things I'm not as good at, but uh, I played on the tennis team in high school. So, you know, all of that's been really fun. Um, I don't know other, you, you know how it is. Sometimes you don't have a lot of time for other right other things uh i love uh i've well i i mentioned the thing with lon wilson when i was playing in those bands i would have to play whatever we needed and i had access to a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. so uh if we were going to play uh uh chicago's color my world Mm -hmm. i had to learn how to play flute enough to play color my world uh, I played, I stole, well, they I actually, my dad bought an alto sax that was the, it, I'll let you use this alto sax if you'll quit playing football that, at that point. But anyway, like uh, average white band, pick up the pieces. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I learned, I couldn't play saxophone except for that piece. Or I played harmonica on uh, uh, America, uh, lonely pe- all the lonely people. Yeah, you know, um, so I've always I've always loved that. I mean, at home I've got a mandolin and a banjo and guitar, and I've I've played bass in in groups and things, you know. So uh, those are uh, sort of those hobby moments, you know, kind of playing all those other things. How good were you uh, on the tennis side? Initially, uh, well, I just barely made the made the team. This was my senior year, um, and but it was a it was a good team. We had like seven or eight, and I was usually number seven or eight. The guy that was for the most part the number one player on the team. I I went as a junior at the end of the year, and I told the coach I'd like to play. She says, "Well, come out and we'll kind of see." So she put me on the court with this guy, and of course he demolished me. Uh, but I took lessons over the summer. I came back, so I made the team. What she used me as was the the backstop for the number one girl. So every day I had to go out there and play against her because it was good for her because I hit harder than the other girls, but it was humiliating that I would get lambasted by this girl every day. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the, the kind of uh, ending to the story – is because um, we Monroe had uh, both an open and a closed tournament every year. Uh, in the open, you know, people are traveling from all over everywhere. So pretty much the Clarksville, I mean, the, Mon- the Monroe people would lose in the first round and then we would play the, I forget what you call it. The, uh, uh, you would have, the, it would be a different bracket and all the losers, you know, whoever's going to be the winner of that. Yeah. I end up, playing that number one guy in the finals of that and i beat him um and he was so mad it was like literally the throw your racket over the fence he's so mad and he can't believe that he lost to me you know so then i retired i retired from tennis after that (laughs) i mean that's it's never it's never that was my pinnacle that's right yes 
That's smart. I like, I like your, your thought process on that. What was the band, the high school band experience like for you? At my high school, not great. Also, it was, it was still very, marching band was still very military. Okay. Uh, so you're doing diagonals and, you know, about face turn and, all, you know. Um, and the, the high school that I went to was really, really academically strong. But the but the band program was fairly mediocre. Yeah. Um, I will say that the the thing that was really great education for me when I went in as a, as a freshman, the guys that were in charge of the section really just literally couldn't read. Uh, also, I mean, this is in Louisiana, uh, so there is this strong New Orleans influence. On even though Monroe is in the northeast part of the state, so it's very far from from New Orleans, but still uh, that sort of music is pervasive. And the other thing, uh, Grambling is mm-hmm. just to the west of us, so that kind of playing along with the New Orleans thing was very influential in everything. Yeah. So I get to school and. Uh, so they're going to have me, you know, play in the snare drum line. And I'm like, okay, where's the music? And they just look at me and kind of laugh. It's like, there's no music. I said, like, well, what are we doing? He's go, well, it goes like this. Yeah. And so they'd play and I'd play. No, 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 that's not it. It goes like this. Because I, you know, I grew up as a reader from, from the age of five. Yeah. Um, so it was really good for me and my ears to, to have to do that. Yeah, because I really, I really hadn't. Um, and of course, then what I did was write it all down. So mm-hmm. those graduate, those guys graduated, and then when I was in charge, I start trying to teach people how to read, and we, yeah, and we we do it that way. Um, I the the whole improvisation thing was such an oddball thing to me, and and I think it's also weird because it looks like my dad would have talked to me about it. Yeah. Uh, cause I mean, I grew up, you know, he, my mom listened to a lot of classical stuff and my dad too, but he also loved Bill Evans and Oscar Peterson. And so that kind of stuff was always spinning on the record player. Um, I went to, um, I guess one of the first concerts that I went to was a Chicago concert hmm. and, and I had those records and I knew every note, you know, and so I'm there and they're playing it and I'm just, this is the greatest thing I've ever been to. And then I don't know, James Pankow, he starts playing a solo and it's like, wait a minute, that's not how it goes. Yeah. You know? And, and then it sort of hits me. It's like, Oh, it's a solo and he can do whatever he wants to. And it's still, Oh, it's still great. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it was sort of like that, that kind of hadn't occurred to me. Um, and I mean, there's, you know, so many people, that's why the country bands, you know, you've got to play the solo the way it goes because otherwise everybody's going to get really irritated. But anyway, it was funny. That's, that's great. So when you get to Northeast Louisiana, you said that's your, your undergrad. Um, does the, does it feel like. Obviously, like it, it changes during your time because like you get a new teacher. Right? Yeah. But I mean, were you did you feel like it was a like a 
looking back, was it like the right place? I mean, I don't, I don't know how much you were looking beyond that originally, but. I, I I never even thought about going somewhere else to school. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I guess mostly because of Mr. Fink, but yeah. um, I mean, also I'm, my dad was my theory teacher <laughs> almost the, almost the whole time. I, there were a couple of the higher level things. It was, it was someone else. Yeah. Um, but that was like not unusual in any way to me. Sure. Uh, we had a really, really great experience. And I think I mentioned earlier, my younger son, Benjamin, yeah. is a percussionist. He came to Austin P. Yeah. So he had me as a private teacher for four years. He had me in percussion ensemble. At that time, I was also doing the jazz combo here. And he played in that. So he saw me as a teacher more than anybody else. It also worked out as a good thing. But that kind of dynamic, you don't ever know if it's going to be a good or a bad thing. You know, it was a really good school. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Jack White was the marching band. Well, he did all the bands, but uh, marching band was exceptional there. It was in a uh, drum corps kind of style that had started to happen. Um, we, we did a lot of the recordings for Jensen uh publishing company. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay Bocook is a pretty famous name, a ranger uh in that in that environment. He was one of our grad students. So mm-hmm. we we were playing Jay Bocook arrangements when nobody else had Jay Bocook. Yeah. Um so it was it was really tremendous. I started a, a marimba quartet that had nothing to do. I mean, it was not a class. It's completely separate from percussion ensemble. Yeah. Um, you know, I did I did the arrangements and we would uh, have rehearsals whenever we could do it, and then go whoever would listen to us. You know, the Lions Club or the whatever. You know, we'd go out and and play some little concerts and, and things. Uh, I was playing the Monroe Symphony was primarily faculty members and uh, we had strong string programs in the public schools there. So a lot of those teachers were in it. Uh, I was I was the principal percussionist in that orchestra and Mr. Fink played played timpani. Um, So it was a really it was really great training. You know, it's kind of like Austin P in that. I mean, it was bigger than Austin P. but that small school environment where you get to do everything. So you get a lot of, a lot of experience. Yeah. That's great. I'm curious. Do you remember, uh, now I'm going to kind of go way back, but do you remember some of what you played on recitals there? I played Creston when I was a senior in high school, Mm. actually. Uh, But like the DuPont uh, concertino, Oh, I don't know the the Tanner Sonata. I can't remember. Some things were high school, and some things were were college. Yeah. Um, well, some things that are uh, like, some things that were uh, were doctoral level when I was a doctoral student are like high school now, practically. Yeah, yeah, and it's <laughs> it's it's a little depressing. Yes. That that's how that is. Uh, I played uh, the variations on Lost Love on my graduate recital. Nice. You know, Benjamin played it on his senior recital. Of course, yes. Um, but, you know, also, it was, I didn't have anything to listen. I'd heard Lee play it. Yeah. 
And uh, I mean, that was it. It's sitting right here. This is this is my uh, lost love. Whoa! It's the accordion, you know, uh, because that's the only way you could get it. Um, And so I, you know, I kind of remembered it from from Lee playing it, but you didn't you didn't have YouTube to study it by. Um, And I mean, I've always played like other stuff. I played uh, Fritz Chrysler Preludium and Allegro, which is a, it's a violin piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was terrible as a violinist walked past as I was, I don't know if it was that one or another violin piece, but it was something that they knew and I was rolling and they kind of stuck their head in and, and laughed and go, Oh, that's funny. And then they go, because that's what it sounded like. You know, I'm hearing me go, and they're hearing booga, 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 booga. Robert Muchinsky wrote a flute sonata that my dad had played. And this is usually how I found stuff, you know, like I loved it. And it, it actually, I think it works better on marimba than it, than it does on flute because there's a lot of real driving percussiveness about a lot of it, you know? Uh, so you can really kick it. And so I don't know. I just, all kinds of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. uh, you know, the Mexican dances, sure. uh, his eight dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a, that was another interesting thing. Um, Gordon, and I think Mr. Rotera had had both Gordon Stout and Lee Stevens come to Austin P. Uh, like to do clinic kind of things. Um, one thing Gordon had talked about trying to do was learn a piece of music never having stood at the marimba. Oh, yeah. uh, and I'd never really done that. So we went on a, a like a wind ensemble tour. Right. And so every time I got on the bus... I was I was I used one of his etudes, and it's one of the easier ones. It's a, it's sort of a, like a little invention kind of a thing. Um, but I would just get on the bus and study it, and and you know practice it in my mind. And so we got back to Monroe, and I go to the practice room and played the piece, and it's the weirdest feeling in the world because. I mean, I didn't, I didn't cheat, you know, don't play it on the piano. Don't like, don't do anything, just study it. Um, it was, it was really a good exercise taxing, but, but a good exercise. Yeah. I I've heard I, I and I've heard of percussionists doing it and, and pianists as well, particularly those. Um, I think one of my colleagues is very, is, is plays so much all the time that basically like when he goes on tour, I think he's got like his chamber music is basically his reading material. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, I, I don't know how, I don't know how they, I don't know how he maintains anything. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very impressive. So yeah. that that's, that's awesome though, that you, something unlocked again, kind of to make that happen. Do you go right to Michigan? From there? Yeah. Well, so so that was a situation which, again, if I'm going to uh, give anybody advice, sure. I because I loved marimba. That was that's what I thought I was really going to do. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so since Gordon and Lee both went to Eastman, I was going to go to Eastman. Yep. So, and again, I can't believe that my dad didn't fuss at me, but I didn't apply anywhere else. I just applied to Eastman. Mm-hmm. I go up and I do an audition. And so this was, you know, John Beck was teaching. I thought, man, I am in. Cause I, I played my mallet stuff and he said, geez, I haven't heard mallet playing like that in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I am, I am just roses. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm going. Uh, so then I get my dear John letter that, that says, uh, you know, we're sorry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if, if, I, if it's what I understand to be the truth, there was one, one slot that year, you know, they were, they had a, one place for a graduate student and it didn't need to be a mallet zone. It, I think it was, you know, like a, somebody who was, was a good timpanist is sort of the way that I had heard it. Well, I was disastrous. Uh, I had never played on, uh, ratchet pedals, um, I go in there and I wasn't, I wasn't much of a timpani player, even if I had, you know, had experience on those drums. So I'm sure it was like a disaster. Then my dad does talk to me and he says, because we had been at interlocking and he'd had some uh, experience with some of the people from Michigan. He said, you know, uh, David, I think Michigan might be kind of a cool thing to do. And I was so mad because I, you know, the way my life was supposed to go was not going that direction. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I did paperwork, I guess. And all I did was make a tape and I didn't even go to Ann Arbor. I just sent a tape up there, you know, yeah, it sounded and, like you, know, you were in a, just a, a wonderful state of mind while you're oh, I was, it my was, audition. Yeah. I was, I can't, I was just mad. So Charlie, gets in touch with me and he says, you know, I'd really like you to come to school here, but I don't have a place for you. I'm full. Um, Would you consider coming in the spring? Because I think I'm going to have a spot. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be working at McDonald's for a semester, you know, and then I guess I'll go on to Ann Arbor. So I was like, sure, I'll do that. So I'm up at interlocking that summer and then he calls me and he says, Dave, uh, somebody dropped out or got a job or whatever it was. Anyway, a slot open. And he said, uh, so if you want to, I'd love to have you come in the fall. I don't have any, I don't have any money for you, but uh, if, you, if you want to come in the fall. So I came in the fall um, and ended up getting, uh, you know, as soon as he could, he got me an assistantship. And then I actually ended up with an extra one because I got to work with a marching band. Uh, besides doing the percussion stuff. Um, but as it turned out, and this is, this is nothing against John Beck or Eastman, mm-hmm. but Michigan was absolutely the perfect place for me to be. It would have, I really think that Eastman would not have been the place for me. Well, why do you, why is that? Why do you think I that? just, it's it's kind of a different environment the best that i can tell sure. um i mean maybe the difference between that conservatory almost you know mm-hmm. sure. and and a state university i don't know it's just it's a different thing and 
And part of it is the people that were there at the time. Don Leucy was an undergrad student. We became best of friends. Mm. Um, and uh, there were a couple other guys, Matt Barber and, uh, uh, oh, shoot, uh, Bobby, Bobby Gabriel. Um, but it was, it was so, and I don't mean that, because I, I don't know, I wasn't there. I'm not saying that that Eastman would not have been, you know, a positive thing, but it, it was everybody so clicked and we had different things that we were better at or we needed help with. And everybody was so accommodating of making everybody be, be better. Yeah. Um, we got to work with Chris Rouse. He was on the uh, composition faculty. So we were playing uh, Ogun Badagri and mm-hmm. uh, Kuka. Uh, with him there, you know, pizza, having pizza and, and Chris helping us figure these pieces out. Um, uh, just, I don't know, conductors that I had so much respect for, H. Robert Reynolds and Carl St. Clair and Gustav Meyer. Um, and as it turned out, a bunch of people either, you know, left or got a job or whatever. So we really didn't have enough students Hmm. So we all got to play more than you would ever want to play. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was in wind ensemble, but I was helping out in symphonic band or playing in the orchestra, but I'd also play in the chamber orchestra. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, I was just, I was playing almost every night. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. so it was great. It was so great. Well, Related note, I mean, you, so you, when you don't get into Eastman, but you're like, your teachers were there and your influences and people like all that stuff, uh, cause you have the marimba focus, but I, were you, did you know kind of the level of Michigan before you applied there? Like did your dad tell you, like, how did you, were oh, you aware I, of kind of like, this is still a really good. A oh yeah. Practice? I was, I mean, I was scared to death, you know, <laughs> okay. um, but it was, you know, a little comforting. Um, like I, I don't know. I went in, you know, for the band auditions and stuff, and and these people because I knew these names, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they were like, "Man, we're really glad you're here. This is great. You sound great," you know, um, and and some of the other students, like I know, like one of the first things. Um, I can't, maybe it was like, I don't know, maybe it was 1812 or something. I was playing snare drum, you know, and, and everybody's just like, God, this David, this sounds great. You know, um, the, one of the Chris Rouse things, um, we had, uh, they had done it before I got there, but one of those people were gone. So they had to plug me into it. Um, so I, I mean, I was, you know, we were going to have a rehearsal. So I learned the part and we get together to have the rehearsal and it all just clicks. And, and they're kind of like, oh, my God, uh, expecting that they're going to have to teach me sort of, you know what I mean? I mean, not completely, but from the get go, it it just seemed like a really positive, positive thing. I mean, because this is a master's. Was there anything that was like a, a thesis with that? Or were you just, was it just playing and you're done? It was playing. I do, you know, I did a recital. We, uh, there was another, uh, a girl named Joanne Lorenzo, who was also a, a really good mallet player. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So in the first year, uh, we played a recital just because we wanted to, mm-hmm. uh, which was was a lot of fun. And but then I did my, you know, my master's recital in the second year. The other thing that was funny, because uh, I, I, as I remember, I didn't have an advisor when I was at Northeast. My mm-hmm. older sister kind of left me a here's kind of what to do. Yeah. She was also a music major. Um, so I get to Michigan and I don't, nobody ever gave me any sort of advice there either. Mm-hmm. Well, I was used to taking 17 or 18 or 20 or 21 hours, you know, of yeah. classes. That's what you do. So I'm there as a graduate student. I signed up for like 17 hours and then people go on, David, what are you doing? You're not supposed to take, that's not what you do, you know? Yeah. Well, I kind of got all of my coursework out of the way. Of course you did. Mostly in, mostly in the first semester. I about killed myself. But, yeah. <laughs> so what that gave, but what that gave me was these other three semesters where I just played. Yeah. You know? And once again, I think that was such good training. You know, it would be stuff like, I'd go into my lesson, uh, you know, maybe it's on Tuesday. Charlie goes, uh, hey, uh, Dave, what are you, what are you doing Thursday night? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. He says, well, here, here. And it's a, it's a piece that some composition person wrote, a solo for marimba and piano. And, and I'm supposed to play it two days from now. Right. Um, but it was just that kind of stuff all the time, you know, And, and, just again it was just really really good training yeah he was a great teacher and and not like i mean i was just talking to somebody today about and you sort of mentioned it that you know the players just keep getting better and better and better um it's either i'm just too tired to try to learn it but i think there are there are things that i can't play that now yes something that somebody is playing you know, that was the way, like, Charlie Charlie couldn't play variations on Lost Love, mm-hmm. but he gave me such wonderful advice and direction yeah. and support mm-hmm. in in whatever. And, and, man, there were definitely things. Like, uh, there was nothing worse than going in there, and he would pull this little pair of crash cymbals out and play a crash and it sounds like butter, and he hands them to me, and I go clang, and he'd oh, yeah. kind of chuckle, and he'd take them back, and I'd watch, you know. And and sometimes it was where he wasn't really, he wasn't really telling me how, what to do. He was just showing me mm-hmm. and make, it's like you have to watch and you have to listen and now try to try to emulate that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so then like the, uh, the Philly orchestra would come for the, they, it was called the May festival up there. Uh, and oh my God, I'd never, I'd never heard live really a symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sitting in the audience and th- that first, that first year that I'm there and they play the star spangled banner and I'm just crying because it's like, oh my God! Yeah, this is what an orchestra. And and of course, I mean, the orchestras at Interlochen, the 
even though that's like high school people, you know, it's like stupid great. And and Michigan's orchestras, it's great, but it is not Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, um, but um, Tony Orlando was in the in that section. And so we played a concert mm-hmm. uh, too. And then Charlie had some kind of get together at his house. And I was playing, I was playing cymbals on, on whatever it was we were playing. Mm-hmm. And Tony comes over, you know, we're drinking punch or whatever. And, and he's like, man, your crashes, they just sound so good. And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> you know? But it's, but it's like, thank you, Charlie, because yeah. I, I didn't really know how to do that before. Yeah. So. The one thing you made me think of is we had St. Louis Symphony. I'm in, I'm at Mizzou, but we had St. Louis Symphony. This was a bunch of years back, but their opening number was the Marriage of Figure Overture. I'm like, yeah, I mean, we all know it. Whatever. Yeah. It was like, it was incredible. And I'm just like, yeah. I know this piece and it was, it was, everything was perfect. Right. <laughs> just yeah. like, just like the Star Spangled Banner. You're like, this is the greatest piece of music I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you know, it's funny, I've, for this whole, this whole time that I've been here, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, I, I mean, I have been more or less important as an extra, I guess, but I've played with the Nashville Symphony mm-hmm. since 1985. And uh, it has, it's, it has built itself into a really, really fine orchestra. I mean, you know, they, uh, it's not, it's not Philly and Chicago and, yeah, L.A. and all, but it's a. I mean, we've done recordings that have won Grammys. Mm-hmm. You know, I so love going down there and just sitting and listening. And they also have really, really the the Skirmerhorn, the concert hall, is ridiculous. It's really great, mm-hmm. but it's so. I just like almost lose my mind sometimes just yeah. getting to listen to that. And it's funny, the people that are in it, it's just like any other job. You know, they're grumbling about the whatever and, and yelling about us, you know, uh, I can't believe what so-and-so, you know, and I'm like, do you know how lucky you are that you get to, you get to do this every day? Yeah. You know? It's great. So, <laughs> anyway. That, that's awesome. I'll keep going as long as they keep calling. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You end up getting into wh- which of the was it an army band? Was that what yeah. was the what was your position yeah. for that three year stretch? Um, I was in the uh, concert band. The at um, well the the DC bands and the academy bands are what they call special bands. Okay. Uh, as opposed to the ones that are sort of just posted all over various places of the world. Um, and so um, instead of the, like kind of going to the recruiter and saying you want to get in the service and hopefully be a musician, right. um, they advertise the job just like an orchestra does. And mm-hmm. you go through that whole process. If you get the job, then you have to join. At West Point, they had uh, a concert band and they have a jazz band, uh, the Jazz Knights. And then they also have the Hellcats. Mm -hmm. 
which right. is drum and drum and bugle corps. So mm-hmm. those three things are actually s- separate entities, and that's what. So I auditioned and got a slot in the concert band. Yeah. Um, you would put those things together at times for um, big passing reviews. Everybody would be a part of the of the band. Uh, we played dinner formations for the um, for the uh, cadets. I mean, it seems like kind of a funny thing, but they would. I don't even know. They what that would. Is. Yeah. Well, they would. They would form up a big, you know, at at attention formation outside of the dining hall, and they would usually get a lot of announcements or something that they're supposed to be doing, and then they march in to have lunch. While they're marching in. We are providing music for them. Uh, it's you know it's just kind of funny when you think about it, but but that was a part of our job. Yeah. Um, we also did uh, the drummers and the buglers did a fair number of uh, funeral uh, ceremonies and and things, and um, that's a little dark and uh, sometimes could be really really cold. Because uh, I mean, you're in New York, and you know, I'm glad I wasn't the trumpet player. I mean, they had plastic mouthpieces if for you know, but uh, it's pretty hard to you know play a field drum in sub-zero temperature or something sometimes. But yeah, um, so we would. I mean, we played uh, uh, sort of a summer series concerts at West Point on the water. There was a, a little concert stage and, you know, all kinds of people would just uh, come for those. Um, we would do uh, things at at schools, mm-hmm. you know, promotion for uh, for the uh, services and stuff. I, I, so while I'm thinking about it, this was this was funny that we took just the percussionists to a school in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did some ensemble things and some solo things. I played the snare drum solo. So I did uh, my friend Norman from the Pratt uh, 14, 14 solos. Yeah. The principal comes up after we're done. And he goes, you know, we've got a teacher here named John Pratt. And I, I think he was at, at West Point or something. And we we're like, are you serious? We go down the hall and here, no lie, is John Pratt teaching English in this high school in, in New Jersey. And I had my, my book. So I've, I've got John Pratt's autograph and inside cover. I've, I've got his, of course it doesn't do us any good now. I've got his address and his phone number, you know, I mean, it's just like, how in the world did this happen? Yeah. Um, uh, but then we would also, um, we did a lot of the big things that would happen in New York. Um, you know, the, um, the band in DC does all the, the big ceremonial kind of things that happen in DC, but, but we would often be the band that would, uh, take care of New York city if something happened. So like, uh, I guess Reagan, uh, there was a time where the president's doing us something. And so we're the ones that are, providing the pomp and circumstance you know yeah yeah that's yeah, that's great the, the pratt story is amazing i mean that's 
Yeah. It I was, was really like, did you get the chance of just, did you just try to chop it out right in front of him? I was like, I like this piece. <laughs> no, I would, man, I would have been too. Take a lesson yeah. during his class. Like, if yeah, you, right. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of glad he was teaching and wasn't <laughs> in the, we were like in the gymnasium or something, I'm sure. But anyway, it was funny. That's so good. What an awesome story. I understand that's, that's kind of the events as they go you know, when you, what, like what you play for and all that stuff, was there just a, like a regular rehearsal schedule? I mean, like, what's the, yeah, that, like your work is you're just, you're just in rehearsals. Well, it, it honestly, it's a really nice job as long mm-hmm. as you're not being harassed by the powers that be. But uh, generally it was a, a rehearsal in the morning for, I don't remember now, a couple hours, whatever. Yeah. Uh, if you were not everybody would play those dinner formations. So there was sort of a rotating schedule. So if you were on it, then you would hang around and you'd play the dinner formation. And then you might be done for the rest of the day. Then, you know, there would be days where there was a, a, a concert that evening somewhere or uh, some small group going out and doing a thing. But um, you, you had a good bit of, of off time, which was, was really nice. Cause you could take advantage of New York. People could go down and take lessons. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, man, I saw, well, probably the, the really greatest thing, the Brecker brothers had a, had a club called seventh Avenue South mm-hmm. at that time. And I mean, there were all kinds of other things, but steps ahead played there a lot because, it was that's Michael's band and so man I'd be there every time I could that they were playing Um, Bob Mincer's big band used that club as their you know playing basically rehearsals you know Mm -hmm. Um, just but then uh, I would buy cheap seats you know seriously five dollar tickets to go see opera or ballet, yeah. uh, you know, go see the Phil. There, and there were times where I would do a couple or something different things. Like I'd go and go to the ballet, and then I'd go to see whoever was at the Vanguard after that. You know, sure. um, I just couldn't believe that all the stuff and all the people. Um, you know, we're all it, right there. Yeah. I saw uh, Aaron Copeland and Martha Graham on stage at the same time. It was uh, some performance of uh, Appalachian Spring, and they were both there, so they were both brought up, uh, you know, to sort of take a bow. And even just, you know, just that I have literally seen Aaron Copeland is kind of mind-boggling to me. And I think about people like, that that were alive when I was alive and I didn't either have or take the opportunity. Sure. Um, John Coltrane, I could have seen, you know, I could have met Duke Ellington. Mm. Um, I, I could have, I could have met Igor Stravinsky, mm. you know, it's just that we were on the planet at the same time sure. is, is so crazy to me. Yeah. I just bought a ticket. For tomorrow night, I, I've been hemming and hawing about it, but um, uh, Wynton Marsalis 
and the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra is playing in in Nashville. Um, and I finally like I have to go because there are so many people it, just like what I'm talking about. Like Ted Nash is is this great saxophone player. He plays in that band. Yeah. Um, and I've seen Winton before, but I'm going to be really proud to see Winton again. You know, there are so many just giants that that walk this earth. You know. Yeah. Well, you you'll be good to know they came to Columbia last month and they oh yeah, out as as oh. expected. Out. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. And it doesn't. It's not even going to be the percussionists that are. I mean, the drummers fantastic but just like right. everyone when they take a solo you're just like that's right. like the best solo i've ever heard in my entire life oh there's another one coming right well and i will say this uh hopefully i don't hurt your feelings mm-hmm. um it's it's sort of odd maybe that like if you looked at my um cd collection because mm-hmm. i'm i am i am not really a jazzer but i am an avid lover of jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I mean, I can, you know, I can play drum set and I can play vibes, but I still call myself a classical percussionist that tries to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I have so many recordings that do not have a drummer on it mm-hmm. and love those. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I love the drums, yeah. you know, but sometimes it is so nice for those other people to have the freedom to do things that they can't when they're constrained by a drummer. Yeah. Um, so that's probably weird coming from a percussionist, but, but it's what I think. No, no <laughs> I still, Peter Erskine is the greatest drummer on the planet. So, so there. <laughs> Good call. Uh, last question about about that is: Did you like living in um, in West Point? I loved it, man. The Hudson River Valley. There's not a lot of places that are more beautiful than that. Um, and again, even though like that was not the the 80s, that was not the best time to be in New York City. It was kind of rough. Yeah. I just didn't really know, you know the. I didn't know that at now it would be much cleaner and nicer and stuff. I just knew there was all this crazy great stuff going on. So I didn't care if there was junk everywhere and winos and, you know, whatever. Um, Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, and the thing is, is the, the administrations change for me, the administration was not right at the point in time that I was there. And the wisest thing for me was to leave. If there had been different, different people in charge, then I could very easily be talking to you from West Point right now, I guess. Although they might've kicked me out because I'm probably too old to be in the band now. But um, there were, there were so many things that I loved about it. Um, It was great. Great job. David, I finished up with a segment called Random Ask Questions. Okay. All right. First question, what's an issue in either percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? Yeah, I know this one without a doubt. Okay. It's, 
It's being concerned with the technical and not with what it is that it is called. It is music. It is not, I'm going to go play some technique for you. I'm, I'm going to play some stick permutations now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, we've gotten really, really wrapped up in that. Um, that and, and also just along with that, that everything has to be gymnastic to be good. You mean like uh, newer works? That New, are- yes. Yeah. Yes. Everything has to be the, the next piece has to be the hardest thing that's ever been written to play. And I mean, other instruments, maybe everybody goes through that and we're still just kind of young in that way. But like, uh, you know, a, a cellist can play something that is just slow and beautiful and gorgeous. And it's okay to do that. Uh, and we feel like we just have to abadi 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 uh, to to make it be good. And and you have to do that. You know, there's there's a time and a place for it all. I just wish that we weren't so stuck on on it having to be so ridiculously hard. Yeah, it's music. It's music, and that's what I'm coming back to. Uh, if if there is a flaw in my teaching. It's that I spend too much time on music and I don't pay as much attention maybe as I to as I should to the technique. But I just I feel like one is more important than the other. And if that's how much time I have, then I'm gonna try to spend it on what I think is important. Yeah. No, that's I'm with you. Uh, no complaints here. I always joke about maybe this is where you're like the because uh, one of my colleagues is is the main percussion person here and and uh, and she does a ton of new stuff. So yeah. she, and and I always say is it a lot of notes? And she's like, oh my gosh, so many notes. And 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 that's it is a joke, but it's also what I've seen <laughs> from so many. Yeah. Pieces. Yeah. <laughs> So do I'm curious at you know when 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 you talk about with students about this stuff, um do do you find that they're having to just work so hard to just get this music to just learn it that they that the time to spend on the stuff you want to spend it on, you lose some of the time. Right. Yeah, no, I I think so. I mean, again, there, like there's a lot of bad stuff on YouTube. It's YouTube is great, but it's also really dangerous. Yeah. Um, so many times people are just, I hand bone some, you know, and it's one of my jokes, but just, you know, and it's, there is, it's cool that I can go that quick, except it's just a whole bunch of noise. It's hard to make music when what you're doing is sprinting and just, you know, like trying to get to the finish line. Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? Oh yeah. I do a Halloween concert here. I've done it 
since okay. since yeah. I came. Um, the I got the idea from Michigan because the orchestra did a Halloween concert. Mm-hmm. So is it at uh, midnight? No, okay. um, we actually we do we have to do two. It's a popular enough event. It sells out twice, so we do a six o'clock and an eight o'clock show. Uh, we dress up and we decorate the place, and uh, every year's different. But I try to figure out how to make it make sense. So, uh, sorry, that's a long way to get to a student dressed up as me. So wore the same sort of kind of clothes that I would wear, but I'm also a big coffee drinker and I walk really fast. Um, so, I mean, it's, I literally have sort of a forward lean uh-huh. as I'm walking down the hall yeah. and a cup of coffee. So this, this person, he did indeed nail me because it looked, it looked just like me. And of course, everybody's just losing it because everybody knows that that's, that's David Steinquist right there, you know, so. <laughs> and even you're looking at it like, yeah, you're nailing me right now. Oh yeah. There, there was no question. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? <laughs> the robe that I have to wear when we are forced to go to graduation. Mm-hmm. And so I'll tell you, um, for almost all of my years, because the, the band always played the graduations, right. I went and played in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I, I would take uh, just another pair of crash cymbals. One time I sat with a, with uh, orchestra bells on my lap and sat in the flute section and played, played flute parts. Nice. Um, but so you, I, you didn't have to be in, I didn't have to be in the robe. Okay. Because, and I didn't have one. I literally for, Oh geez, I don't know. 30. Cause I haven't had this very long, mm-hmm. 30 years maybe. And I never, marched in the graduation thing then they started doing it with a smaller group or like a brass quintet kind of or whatever something so like i lost my excuse so i had to like you know go on amazon and and buy a rope because i don't have one from wherever whenever else i don't have the little hat or any of that junk it's just it's basically like a it almost looks like a church choir robe so i'm surprised i don't get in trouble for not being all official but I guess I'm, I am old enough that they kind of go, Oh, he's just one of those guys, you know? Yeah. So that's good. That's good. Growing up where you did in Tennessee and and then Louisiana, do you have a sports fandom? Okay. This has been sort of weird. Mm -hmm. Um, I never was really like a basketball fan, but I was a Michael Jordan fan, like serious. So for the time that he was a bull, I would not miss seeing a game. And I mean, I loved all the, you know, Scottie Pippen and all those other guys. Yeah. Uh, They were all great, but it was all about Michael Jordan. And when he retired, actually, I didn't even watch him when he, well, I tried and then I quit. Oh, with the wizard. He was a wizard. Yeah. 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 It was just like when he quit being a bull, I was done. Uh. I, I am a big Titans fan being in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but and I get in trouble with all kinds of people about this. I love Tom Brady, and oh and I kind of always have. I'm sorry, he is he, he is amazing. I don't care if you don't like him. You have to admit that he's amazing. I got to see him. The game, this was a couple of years ago, I guess, the, the game that the Titans beat them, uh, I was at in Nashville. Mm. Uh, yeah. But still, and he, didn't, he did not play well that day, but there were some passes from him to Gronk or from him to Edelman, mm-hmm. and – it, it is just such a thing of beauty. I cannot believe. So he went to Tampa Bay, and I'm still like, you know, a Brady fan. So yeah. my older son, he like at my birthday, he bought me up all this goofy, like a toothbrush and a keychain and a pair of socks and, you know, all this buccaneer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I was really sad when he said he was going to retire. Because it's like I hate to have to give him up. Only now I don't have to give him up because he's going to play again, as far as we know. So now everybody's like, "Oh, David, they don't do this." Like, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's he's just going to pot. I mean, he's already got all those records, yeah. you know, and that probably nobody can reach, and he's just going to pile on a little bit more now. Yeah. You know, he's so, yeah. I, I sorry, I saw the face. Yeah, uh, I'm a see. I grew up in I grew up in New York. I'm a Jets fan, so it's like he just yeah. my team for forever. Yeah. So it's yeah. You know, right. I get I get <laughs> it. Well, all right, fine. Um, because I mean, you if you are a big Brady fan and you're a big Jordan fan, how about Roger Federer? Uh yeah. You know, I, I haven't. It's weird that I played tennis kind of, and I don't really watch it that much. Okay. But I do. I do really. Uh, I have really liked him. Yeah. Uh, Djokovic too, you know, he's pretty amazing to watch and, and Nadal, you know, well, and I'll tell you another one. Um, I liked, I really liked watching Tiger Wood play mm-hmm. golf. Yep. Uh, man, people really like in a, in the family, it's like, you're watching golf on, and cause I've never played golf in my life. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, and you know, I guess it's definitely got its boring aspects, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, Tigers, I just, I think I just respect people that, you know, are so ridiculously good at what they've done. Yeah. Uh, and they don't give up. That's another thing. Yeah. Uh, all those guys that we're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, Michael knew, he always knew it didn't matter what score was. I can still win this game. Yeah. You know, and Brady's the same way. And, and Tiger could hit one way off into the woods somewhere. And then somehow he sends it out of there and it ends up right next to the pin. You know, I mean, it's just, they just know they can do it. Yeah. I think that's what I respect, you know? Yeah. I hear you. Drag everybody else along with them. Yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, great movie and then a terrible movie. Gr- the great movie, mm-hmm. Cold Mountain. Oh yeah, Do you know that one. Mm-hmm. I I really loved that movie. Uh, such such great acting, but also I I love the music. Yeah, um, 
I want to go to Alabama. I guess that's where it is mostly, maybe Georgia. I thought it was where Tennessee they, also. Where they do that. Well, I'm talk, what I'm talking about is where they do that singing. Oh, uh, and they and what they do now, like they do it sort of in the round. Like mm-hmm. the people are all in a circle and whoever's doing the, you know, kind of keeping the beat in the middle. Um, I, I want to hear the power of that music in person because they – they're not screaming, but it's just they're they do that mm-hmm. just as it's as loud as it can be, but so um I don't know, heartfelt, so strong. Um man, I I wonder, you know this by now, it's the longest amount of time that we've talked. Um at Centennial Park, uh they've always done sort of an arts crafts kind of thing. And uh, Music of the Spheres, I think, is the name of the company, uh, Wind Chimes. Oh, and so they had a tent with all of their different wind chimes. And uh, there was some natural wind, but they also had some fans set up so that things were going. I went and stood in the middle of that tent, and I pretty much felt like I was in heaven. I just stood there, and I just closed my eyes. Because these beautiful sounds are, are happening 360 you know, um, it was, it was a moment. Um, and that singing does that to me too. Um, man, a bad movie. I don't like, my wife's going to kill me. Like the, the dumb, dumb and dumber. And some of those things. Yeah. Where I just don't, that stuff is not funny to me. Um, I mean, I love comedies, mm-hmm. but a lot of that just seems just kind of stupid, you know? So, sorry. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Allison. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, what about what's a favorite book? Oh, man, that's hard. I read all the time. Uh, she, she is making fun of me because right now, and it's because we watched, uh, the series, there's some new out. So I'm excited. Outlander. Oh, um, okay. yeah. That's like eight books and they're, they're, they're all they're, a thousand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so she picks on me that I'm, you know, those are David's romance novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they're really well-written. Uh, I have read every word that Stephen King has written. That's uh, very impressive. Because he's written have, a lot of words. Yes, he has. But I'm, <laughs> I've been around for a while. But I don't think I don't think he's written a bad word uh, in everything that he's done. Uh, I didn't read uh, John Grisham. I read one of the ones that was sort of for younger oh, people. Sure. Uh, I forget the name of the little, of the guy. I read one of those, and but I've read everything else that John Grisham has written. Uh, I read all the Harry Potters. Uh, those are great books. Um, Allison wants us to go down there. She just, she went recently and freaked out the, uh, in Florida. Oh yeah. The old Harry, you know, so she's like, man, you need to read them all again. Um, you're like, okay, sure. uh, Yeah, I guess I will. I'm not sure if I'm going to or not. She's sort of, she got started on them. Um, so I, if, I mean, if I had to pick, you were trying to make me pick and I'm not sure. doing a very good job of it. That's all right. 
it, Stephen King is my writer. So uh, what's of the of the ones? What's kind of and you're like if you told me like this is the one you got to read, and I've read like a few, but like I'm not. Yeah, geez, that's so Where'd hard. You go? I don't. You know, he wrote the Green Mile mm-hmm. as sort of a serial. Uh, yeah, you know, it was in. in um, it's man, it's really good. Um, I mean, sort of classic. The Stand. Well, that, a lot I read of, that. that's a lot, but it's yeah. a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you what. Uh, have you read On Writing? He wrote a book called I've told, On Writing. I've had multiple people tell me I need to read that. You have to read it. Okay. Uh, it is so applicable to music and life. Everything. He's writing it about writing, but it's really a, it's really about life. Uh, and it's just as good as his fiction. Oh, that's great. Uh, just, just different. Okay. He's, that would be one person that I would really love to meet. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because we're both alive right now, I would like to meet him. Awesome. I like hearing that. All right. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? I haven't traveled very many places. I've been all over the eastern part, like, you know, east of the Mississippi. I've been kind of everywhere. West of the Mississippi, I've been very few places. So uh, my little sister lives in Idaho. Mm. Uh, I've not gotten out there and I'm in trouble for it, but I need to get out there. Uh, Benjamin uh, is going to end up being in the Marine Band in San Diego. So that's a good excuse for me to to go there. I I mean, I've been to LA and San Diego, but only to do things like a a conference or a clinic or, you know, so I haven't really seen those places. I just, I was there. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to go anywhere in Europe Mm -hmm. just to see something different because I'm, you know, I've basically just been a America kind of person it's kind of kind of sad but yeah i should get out more (laughs) (laughs) funniest strangest or most bizarre performance moment that involves you if you uh talked to the our our, uh, marching band director john schnettler his wife one of the halloween concerts the the costume that i did was just so that I could say this. It's a Disney thing. I I was Maleficent. Mm-hmm. But I thought that it was, the name was Maleficent. That's what I was talking, you see what I'm saying? So that's the reason, it was okay for me to do this because it's Maleficent. But so, and like we did some music from that. I can't even remember now, but uh you know, it's it's this like tight dress looking yep. thing and it's kind of sort of scary makeup and stuff. Um Brandy would she ran literally ran the other way. Uh at like after the concert. I was I was trying to go see him and she would she could not look at me. Um because she was just so horrified. <laughs> um so that's that's probably the I mean I've done some other kind of wacky things on that on that concert, but yeah. that might be the most 
distressing one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. And David, last question. What one piece of art, movies, music, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently? Wow. You ask hard questions. Oh, right. That's pretty terrible if it's not anything. Well, okay. Wait, I can tell you. Okay. I can tell you. All right. It's pretty funny that it was just yesterday. Nice. Um, we did this uh, Osvaldo Galajov, a composer. Okay. Uh, he wrote, it's called, I have to look at it so I can say it, La Passion Según San Marcos. It is, it is a piece about the passion of Christ. Okay. Um, what he did, though, all of the um, music is uh, in some way Afro-inspired, whether that is Cuban or Brazilian or Argentinian. Uh, it's, it's music from sort of all of those cultures. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know these names. Mikael Rehnquist uh, teaches at Berkeley. Um, and, uh, Marcus Santos is an, another guy that, uh, is in the Boston area, teaches New England conservatory, I think. Uh, um, so they are two of the guys, uh, I'm, I'm not sure when the first performance happened. Uh, they were involved in the very first performance and have played every performance since. Well, I lied. Uh, Mikael has. Uh, Marcus came on in about 2008. It's it's huge. It has a choir. It's got a, a band, which includes accordion and uh, weird sort of ethnic acoustic guitars and piano and bass and some violins and cellos and almost every percussion instrument that you can imagine to be played by, we did five guys. Mm -hmm. So... The thing that was so frightening, uh, a lot of it is the bata drums, mm -hmm. which I have had zero experience with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was the third, They, you, I'm sure you know, but it's like three, three different drums right. as, a, as a group. Yeah. So I was the, the top drum. I was the third person playing these drums. Um, and I, I was like scared to death, uh, about having to do this thing. It's, it's a huge work. It's like an hour and a half. Mm. Um, and I mean, these guys are pros at this thing and I'm a novice now, you know? Um, but it's a, it is, it is this incredibly powerful piece of music. Uh, there's some dance involved and, there are also soloists. Um, I'm having to, I mean, we all sort of three of us are, but uh, I'm, I've never played kashishis. Um, and, I, you know, so I'm having to sort of learn. Uh, I mean, I've, you know, I've played all kind of weird shaker kind of things, but not that particular instrument. Uh, so then I have to go over and, and be a, a bata person. I have to go over and now we're, uh, we're playing a Cuban thing where I'm playing bongos and bell. And then I'm back here playing timbales, which again, I don't do. Um, uh, Udi drum. I've never played 
So, you know, in this professional situation that I am having to navigate and negotiate things that I am not comfortable on. So for this whole last week, um, I've been learning all kinds of new things and trying to keep from losing my mind and then play a couple of concerts and, and hopefully do okay. And it was, again, it's really, it's really powerful music and the ending of it is like, you just want to cry, you know? Um, so, but I am glad it's over because <laughs> it was a really long, hard week, but, um, but I love that stuff. I get to play Mahler second in a, in a month or so. So that could displace it because I love Mahler. But I'm going to stick with that. That's what I'm going with. Such a pleasure getting to chat with David in this interview. I wish him the best of luck as he continues his career at Austin P. And I have to say, if you think, audience, I should interview folks for this show, never hesitate to get in touch with me. Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. This week's rave, in honor of it winning the Best Picture Academy Award this past Sunday, along with Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor for Troy Kotzer, is Coda, starring Kotzer, Amelia Jones, Marley Matlin, and Daniel Durant, and written and directed by Sean Hader. Now, as you're well aware, if you followed this past Sunday's Academy Awards, there was an incident that occurred known in shorthand as the slap. I have no interest in talking about that, so go elsewhere for your take. On that incident, I'm going to focus on CODA, which I just recently saw and very much enjoyed. CODA tells the story of Ruby Ross, played by Amelia Jones, a high school-aged young woman who is attempting to find her own way in the world and is doing so through music, but is also the only hearing person born into a family of deaf folks, played by actors Troy Kotzer, Marley Matlin, and Daniel Durant. The family have a fishing boat that they make their living from in Massachusetts, and Ruby functions as their hearing person, working in the early morning hours prior to her going to school. Things occur, there's a love interest, she tries to get into college, the fishing boat and commercial stuff. Anyway, there's a lot that happens. The story is fairly predictable. It's an underdog story. And plot-wise, some of the things happen that you could see from a mile away. But the enjoyment is from the incredible performances. Kotzer and Matlin play Ruby's parents, a very loving human couple who have incredible chemistry and are frequently very funny. Daniel Durant is also tremendous as Ruby's older brother, himself trying to find his way in the world as a trusted adult and member of the family. The real gem of the performance, though, is Amelia Jones, though she wasn't nominated but should have been for Best Actress. The challenge and result of finding a young, believable actor of a high school age who is also a good singer, which was Ruby's instrument, and can sign American Sign Language with fluency and ease seems to be a major challenge, but Amelia pulled us off. There's some music education stuff going on in the movie, so that was cool. Some of it extends believability, but hey, it's a movie. 
What I've read from reviews about this film is that it seems so much like a corny Lifetime movie, and it is, but again, the performances are so good. This doesn't feel like a movie you should like as much as you do, but really, you need to see it. Now streaming on Apple TV, check out Coda, this year's winner for Best Picture. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.